There have been uh, several uh, programs on the television about the Bible recently. One group was preparing uh, a series of programs and they called a theologian in uh, to discuss some of the aspects of the Bible. He was astonished to discover uh, that uh, each member of the group, and they weren't Christians, had been commanded to read through the Bible three times uh, before beginning to work on this uh, series of programs. And one of them uh, came to the beginning of Matthew's Gospel, the very beginning of the New Testament, and was astonished at the long list of names. wonder how much uh, we study that list of names. Three sections of 14 names uh, which Matthew has recorded. And this man, uh, astonished at this list, said, what a wonderful list it is and how wonderful to know who you are. And it is wonderful to read through that list. I don't think Jesus needed to read it to know who he was, but it's very helpful for us to read it uh, so that we can know who he is. It's in three sections. begins with Abraham, to whom God made a promise that in his offspring all nations of the world will be blessed, including the Nenet nation. And then uh, the second section begins with David, the great king. And God had a promise for him too, that on his throne there would never lack uh, a member of his family, of his offspring, forever, pointing forward to the Lord Jesus. And then the third section is all about the exile and the leaders of the people during the time of the exile. And the exile was a time of judgment and ultimate, ultimately marvellous deliverance. And then as a climax to this list of 42, according to Matthew, is the statement uh, that of Joseph was born Jesus the Messiah the great climax of 1900 years of history, the coming of this royal person who was going to be a tremendous deliverer and set his people free. And that is the Jesus we have been celebrating at Christmas time, God with us, Jesus who will save his people from their sins. And it leads up uh, to a very personal challenge uh, which I believe we have here in the beginning of chapter 2 of Matthew's Gospel. Where is the king? Where is the king in your life and in my life? Is he on the throne? Where is the king in this world of ours? Is he reigning? Where is the king in everything that happens in my life and your life? Is he in control? 
Let us read the first 18 verses of Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, Report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him <coughs> with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up and took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realised that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. May God bless his word to our hearts. There are four direct quotations uh, from the Old Testament prophets in this chapter, uh, chapter 2 of Matthew. And they are all introduced by a sort of a formula, something like what the prophet has written or what the prophet has said or, and so was fulfilled, 
what the Lord has said through the prophets. Matthew actually uses that formula 13 times in his book. And he is wanting us to realise uh, that everything about the birth and life of Jesus was rooted in the Old Testament scriptures. The Old Testament was always looking forward to this great event of the coming of the Lord Jesus into this world to be the great ruler, a great king, a great messiah, a deliverer of his people. Look at the first of these uh, prophecies. This extraordinary experience uh, that uh, these magi had with uh, King Herod and looking uh, for the, uh, the king of the Jews. If you were looking for a king, where would you go? You would go to the royal palace. That's what they did. They went to Herod's palace. They asked, where is this person born king of the Jews? And he was astonished, uh, but he had the good sense to ask his uh, theologians and they were able to quote a prophecy from Micah about Bethlehem and that's where Jesus would be born. And so he believed them and sent to Bethlehem to look for the child. But here is this prophecy from Micah. I wonder if you can imagine Matthew scratching his head and wondering about this amazing fact. Why the star? Why was there this star? Uh, what, did, what did that mean? And as he scratched his head, he was able to look back into the Old Testament scriptures and see uh, that there was an old prophet called Balaam, an, an evil man in fact, but he was a prophet and God spoke to him about a star will come, a scepter will rise out of Judah, a great ruler would come uh, from uh, this family. And he spoke of Micah, the prophet spoke of Bethlehem, Micah living 700 uh, years before the coming of Christ, was able to say, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. Out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. God was already 700 years before Christ's coming, prophesying that he would come as a ruler, as a great king. And uh, as the story unfolded, uh, Matthew must have wondered about many things. What about uh, the gifts uh, that these magi presented? The gold, the frankincense, the myrrh. All sorts of uh, explanations have been given. The one I like most is that goes back into the Old Testament and finds such statements as, as this, nations will come to your light bringing gold and incense. And there are several references in the prophets to the gold uh, that will be brought uh, to Israel. 
the gold that would be brought uh, to honour uh, the birth of the Lord Jesus. And the myrrh. Myrrh is, uh, we're told, associated with burial and certainly uh, after the death of Jesus, women came uh, bringing myrrh to uh, put on his, uh, on his corpse and when they got to the grave, you remember, there was no corpse, Jesus had risen. But myrrh is also used in the Old Testament as an expression of love. Remarkable, in the Song of, Song, uh, in the Song of Songs, we read of the lover coming with our hands, dripping with myrrh, wanting to show how beautiful she is, how attractive, how desirable, welcoming her beloved, Come to me, enjoy me, let us rejoice together, make, let us make love together. And so they come with myrrh to present to the Lord Jesus. To show maybe their love for him, or maybe that's what would click into the thoughts of, of Matthew as he pondered uh, these gifts being brought uh, to the Lord Jesus. And then uh, there is that third statement here, uh, an enigmatic statement, I think, in verse 15. Out of Egypt I called my son. It's a quotation from Hosea, and uh, Hosea is looking back many hundreds of years before even his time uh, to the uh, time when the Israelites were slaves in Egypt and God called them through the hand of Moses to come out of Egypt and to go to freedom in their own country. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Moses went to Pharaoh and he said, you've got to set my people free. And those people God called my son, the whole of Israel. We're told that it was two million men besides women and children who were set free at that time, a massive body of people. My son, says God. And now, Matthew is applying that prophecy to the Lord Jesus. My son, the Messiah. My son, the king. Being called out of Egypt, being called to his own land, being called home, my son. But not only my son, just as Moses was the leader of a great nation of Israel, so Jesus is the leader of all his people, all believers. We too are in that category of my son. Out of Egypt, I have called my son. I am amazed at these references uh, to the Old Testament scriptures. It's, it's just wonderful, I think, to, to see how God's plan has worked out over all these centuries in the life of the Lord Jesus. It reminds me of, um, well, the, the quotation that we started the service with. As um, the, the Lord's great plan for us, uh, listen to this one from Isaiah 14. As I have planned, so it will be. 
As I have promised, so it will stand. The Lord Almighty has purpose. Who can thwart him? His hand is stretched out. Who can turn it back? Here is a great plan that God has purposed. And it is infallible. It will happen, says Matthew. And here it is, it is happening in the birth of Jesus. And it's going to go forward throughout the history of the world. And here are we, caught up in that plan, in our little lives, in everything that's happening to us. God is working out his purpose, his great plan for us. In our sicknesses, he's got a plan. In our problems, that problem that uh, Robin's been mentioning in the church, he's got his plan, his great purpose, and it's a purpose for good, it's a purpose for salvation, it's a purpose for the growth of the kingdom of God, it's a purpose of bringing glory and honour to his great and holy name. How wonderful he is. Then look at that um, further prophecy in this passage. I find this one a little bit difficult um, about Rachel and Rama. Rachel was buried in Rama. Her tomb was there. Rama uh, was, I think, about 16 miles north of Jerusalem. And that prophecy of uh, Jeremiah uh, was spoken at the time uh, when Jerusalem had been vanquished by Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. And he was carting off masses of people, uh, of the leaders in Jerusalem, into exile in Babylon. And here they were, uh, they were going north and uh, uh, northeast towards Babylon and their route went past Ramah. In their midst was Jeremiah the prophet and he was actually released in Ramah, we are told. And he pictures, uh, he, he pictures Rachel weeping uh, for the exiles on their way into captivity. And yet, he knows that there is a plan. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. <clears throat> plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. God had this great plan for them. And now Jeremiah sees that plan being fulfilled. The plan for mankind. The plan for Israel. The plan for us, for St. Catherine's. The plan for God's people everywhere. He has this perfect plan. And he will fulfill it. And we are to be part of that plan. We are to seek his face, call upon him and he will listen to us. That is his great promise. Whatever befalls us, God has this plan. Remember a few weeks ago the uh, terrible uh, problems in the Philippines, the awful flooding that took place, the terrible storm uh, that struck that land, and we uh, saw these pictures of terrific devastation on our screens. 
and people sitting in the midst of uh, total ruin. And there was one picture I remember very vividly. A family sitting there and uh, their home was completely destroyed. And you looked at all the mess they were sitting in and you thought, well, there's nothing there for them. And one of them, one of the family, a teenage girl, had a book in her hand. And the book, you could just make out the title on it. And it said, God hasn't finished with me yet. What a testimony. In the midst of trouble, God hasn't finished with me. God had his purpose. My father died when I was uh, just six years old. And the following year, uh, my mother had produced a piece of embroidery and she had it framed and put it up uh, in our lounge. And it sat there all through my childhood. And I remember reading it many, many times. And this is what it said. Don't be unhappy. All is for the best. We are playing a good part in a great plan arranged by God himself and all is well. Wonderful, isn't it? A widow, recently widowed, in her thirties, God has this great plan for my life and for my family. And all is well. All is working together for good to those who are called according to God's great purpose. had an email just this week from friends who are missionaries in South Sudan and um, they were commanded by their leaders to leave Sudan and they drove south, um, nine of them, nine adults, three children, uh, to Kampala in Uganda uh, to... uh, enjoy Christmas there. And other missionaries uh, went in the same direction. There was a team uh, that had gone into um, uh, a place called Lopit in South Sudan, a team of about ten young people. They had been there for ten days and then they had to withdraw. Just imagine that. All the preparation for going overseas, for going uh, as missionaries into that situation. And then being suddenly withdrawn. Is the king still in charge? Yes, he is. Is this part of his plan? Yes, it is. All of us, in all our struggles, in all our difficulties, in all our problems, sicknesses, bereavements, is it part of God's plan? Yes, if we are called according to his purpose, if we have put our lives under his control, if he is our king, he is in control. We don't need to ask, where is the king? He's right here with us. The unerring fulfilment. But Jesus also is the hated king. Matthew contrasts the unworthy king Herod with the glorious king Jesus. It is amazing, isn't it, the folly of King Herod. He had the sense to ask the scribes the question, 
where is the king to be born? And then he believes when they say it's going to be in Bethlehem. And then in his folly he thinks that he can thwart what God has planned. God has purpose. Who can thwart him? Who can withstand God? Certainly not a little monarch-like Herod. And he seeks to kill her offspring. Reminds me of that marvellous picture in Revelation chapter 12. Do you remember that um, picture of, of a woman big with child, about to produce her baby. And there is Satan, this dragon with his seven heads. And he's sitting there watching the whole process, watching the childbirth, ready to devour the baby as soon as it's born. And then the baby is born. And as Satan moves forward, licking, licking his lips, the baby is snatched up to heaven. This is a picture of Jesus being protected, guarded by God. God working his purpose out. And so the devil seeks to pursue the woman and she flees into the desert and she's given wings of an eagle in order to fly away and Satan can't get her. And then we read that he was filled with anger. He was enraged at the woman and went off to make war against whom? against the rest of her offspring, those who obey God's commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Who is that? That's you, that's me, that's this church, that's God's people. Because we follow the hated king. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me First, I love this comment from Leon Morris. The troubles of the persecuted righteous arise, not because Satan is too strong, but because he is defeated. And God defeated King Herod and conserved Jesus. God defeats the enemies of his church and causes his kingdom to grow but we face an untiring foe. And then finally, Jesus is the global king. Can you imagine someone coming into the church here in a long white gown with an Arabic uh, headgear, great big beard, and uh, an elder meets this guy at the door and uh, says, where are you from? Oh, I'm from Persia. And what do you do in Persia? Well, actually, I'm an astrologer. Well, why have you come here? Well, I've been looking at the stars and I've been told that I could find a new king to set my life at rights if I come here. Can you tell me about him? I wonder what you would think. Wouldn't you be astonished? And yet that's what this story is. It's God reaching out to foreigners 
whom most Jews would probably never have heard of, who have come because in some remarkable way God has spoken to them and said, there is a king in Judah, in Judea, and you must go and seek him and find him and worship him. And God is doing that. He's doing it to the Nenet people. He's doing it to the South Sudanese people. He's doing it to the people in Equatorial Guinea. He's reaching out to them and he's drawing them to himself and he's speaking to them in culturally appropriate ways, in strange ways perhaps, ways that we can't understand, speaking to them about Jesus and inviting them to come to Jesus. Right at the end of Matthew's Gospel is that statement which we get at the very beginning. You remember the angel saying to, uh, to Joseph that his name would be Emmanuel, God with us. The very end of the Gospel, Jesus says, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe whatever I have commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is his command to us. Supreme authority has been given to Jesus as he rose from the dead and went to heaven. He was given that ultimate majestic sovereignty and in his authority, he reaches down to us, promises us his presence, the fullness of his love, and sends us out into the world to follow him, the global king, in his desire to win people for himself. Let us bow in prayer. Lord Jesus, we stand in awe in your presence, worshipping you, praising your name, rejoicing in you. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are in control of our, our lives, you are in control of our church, you are in control of our nation, you are the Lord of this world. Lord, we look up to you and submit to you and want you to be our King, our Saviour, our Master, our Ruler. Amen.